In a time where parents have the weight of a thousand decisions on their shoulders and every step is like walking in quicksand, adventure's probably not in your focus. However, research shows families who adventure are more resilient and have significantly healthier minds and bodies. The purpose of this podcast is to help families connect through simple and authentic adventure experiences. Welcome to Ordinary Sherpa, your online community designed to help you connect, reach your summit, and create meaningful adventure experiences with your family. Hello, and welcome to Ordinary Sherpa. I'm your host, Heidi Dusick, and we are in the middle of a lot of stuff right now, you guys. I woke up this morning totally overwhelmed, totally feeling guilty, and just had this sense of, I can't focus on anything else, you guys. I just have to get this stuff done and realized my list, my to-do list was defining my life. It was kind of an aha moment when I realized I am such a hypocrite. But the weight of all those decisions, you know, from my intro, the weight of a thousand decisions has just been weighing on me. There's a lot of stuff. We are in the midst of heading on vacation. And you know, like when you go on vacation, there's all the prep work in life of getting the vacation stuff figured out. And with COVID, that there's it's a little bit more complicated. There's a lot of things that are just starting to open up. So the regulations keep changing. So tracking on that has been challenging. And then there's life, right? We're going to be gone for an extended amount of time. So not only am I just taking care of today and tomorrow, but what has to get done and getting it done for the next three weeks. It's kind of one of those things where you're like, oh man, I totally forgot we had to like mow the yard and hold the mail, all those little things that creep into your life. When so much of my ethos is built on grit and hard work, it's really hard to recognize when those achievement, I call them gremlins, right? When all of that mentality of checking the boxes becomes how you define your worth, it can be really daunting. And the day that I had planned for myself was really a lot of podcasts, editing, recording, publishing, prepping content for Instagram and social media channels and updating things for my, like really all of those things were weighing on me. And I added to that some of the work responsibilities, my W2 work, all of those you tell people you're leaving and now they all want something from you. It seems like there's a lot of inquiries that came in last week that I need to take care of. And instead of deciding that I needed to do it all, I decided that I'm going to do what I want to do and it'll be okay because most of these deadlines and these expectations are self-imposed. This episode really spoke to me today. And with that, I also just want to share that Because we are going to be spending an extended period of time in Hawaii, which we've been planning for years, and I am really ready to unplug and not be all the things, I am giving myself permission that it doesn't have to be perfect. I wanted this brand to give you permission to do those things that bring you joy in life. And I realized I was being a little bit of a hypocrite if I wasn't doing it myself and I was setting a different expectation of myself and not leaning into the values that I talk about, which is why it was kind of funny as I was editing this episode, I was like, OMG, I think this is the perfect time for this episode to launch. Both our guest and I have a resource for you at the end, and I might not be the best testament right now, but I wanted to offer you some support because when you are off the rails and when things feel awry, it's hard to even 
figure that out, number one. And number two, then if you don't necessarily know what your rails are or where you are headed, that can be another discouraging journey to be on. So there's two resources. One is from the guest and one is from myself. And I will bring those back up at the end of the show. But today's episode on slowing down and being aware is one that I'm really excited to share with you today. Our guest first became interested in writing about wellness as a lover of language and outdoor athlete who experienced a major health crisis during residency training. Through her writing, coaching, and speaking, Dawn inspires others to develop their own individual practice of balance via self-knowledge and self-awareness. She has been featured on numerous podcasts such as The White Coat Investor and national syndicates such as Kevin MD and MedPage Today. As a board-certified anesthesiologist, wife, and mother, Dawn also loves to travel, rock climb, strength training, and yoga, in addition to just simple pleasures of taking walks with her family. Dawn L. Baker, MD and MS, is the founder of Practice Balance. Dawn, welcome to Ordinary Sherpa. I'm so excited to have you today. Hi, Heidi. I'm excited to be here. Thank you so much. Yes. I want to walk through your story just a little bit. You are, I'm fascinated by you. So, because <laughs> I know you have a really interesting background. I know you earned your bachelor's and master's in chemical engineering and practice for a little while, but then you met your husband and started rock climbing, which led to a career change. So first of all, I want to know about this rock climbing thing, but then I also want to know what was, what was the impetus to the career change? Yeah, I actually met my husband when we were both engineering students. So we weren't even doing our careers yet. We were really young, like 19 years old or something of that nature, and met in a physics class. And he had had a little bit of exposure to rock climbing through his father, who's a geologist. But I had never done anything really adventurous as a kid, barely even had gone camping and I'd never really been doing any kind of sports or anything like that. So he introduced me to this and it basically became something that we as a couple became immersed in. And it ended up shaping a lot of our decisions and the way that we wanted to design our life from there on out. And we started rock climbing during when we were in college and we were pursuing these engineering degrees. We began traveling domestically and just climbing all over the southern southwest um, area of Arizona and then other states. We designed all of our trips around rock climbing. Before we kind of started jobs after our bachelor's degrees, we also went on a couple of different trips. We went on a really long road trip where we pulled a trailer behind a truck and rock climbed all over the United States. And then we went to Thailand to rock climb and Nepal, which we didn't do rock climbing there, but we did do trekking and hiking. And that was kind of the start of something that changed my whole direction in life. From there... I worked as an engineer for a little while. I worked at a startup company that made medical devices. And then I also worked at a big company that made microchips, which people are familiar with called Intel. And while I was doing that job, I realized that kind of informed from the experiences that I had had meeting all sorts of people through rock climbing that I really wanted to do something that was more service oriented. 
And going to the countries that we had been to also changed my mind on that too. I didn't want to do a job where I was serving the same kind of person and kind of making something to make a computer faster. I just wanted to do something that married science with service. And so I started looking into medicine, but I didn't really know much about it at the time. So it was a long career transition that took a few years. That is fascinating. I rarely meet people who start adventuring with rock climbing. (laughs) (laughs) I laugh because I'm like, I just want to start it now. I've done it a few times, but I love, what was it that, I mean, you alluded to it a little bit, but what was it that you learned from the rock climbing experiences? You talked a little bit about that idea of wanting service, but what was so appealing about that lifestyle? We met all sorts of people who were climbing and the community at the time was really small. Now rock climbing is a lot more popular and more mainstreamed and there are rock climbing gyms all over the place. But this was a small college town, relatively small at the time, Tucson, and had a pretty little community. And there was one rock gym, which now when you go to different cities, there can be multiple different rock gyms. And so we had a tight knit community, but everyone was really different. So you would have people that would be our age at the time, like 20 years old, climbing with people that were 40, also climbing with people that were 60. We met people that did all sorts of jobs. We had friends that were doctors and lawyers and engineers and professionals. And then we had friends who rock climbed that were had jobs like school bus driver, or I remember a particular guy that was a school photographer and he made very, very little money, but all of these people were united in this common love of the outdoors and love of exerting themselves in the outdoors and that adventure and that kind of physicality of the rock climbing. Yeah, I can totally understand that. I think it's kind of fun how adventure can unite adventure more broadly, but even like something like rock climbing can unite so many different people. Let's walk through your story a little bit further. As you decide you're going into medicine, you pick a specialty, you go into residency, and you have a pretty significant health issue. How did that impact your trajectory, not just even in your career, but then in your adventure life? How did all of that end up playing out? Yeah, I decided that I wanted to do the medicine to marry the science and the service and also have a little bit more agency on my ability to travel and adventure because as you can imagine with engineering, you're kind of pegged into a particular geographic area based on the kind of work that you want to do, such as if you are really interested in doing petroleums or a certain type of chemical production, you need to live in a certain area of the country, like maybe the the deep South or Texas or something like that, where oil is produced more commonly. I wanted to be able to do whatever I was going to do anywhere. And I secretly or was hoping that I could find a job where I could still take extended trips to rock climb or do whatever. And so that informed my decision on what kind of medical specialty that I was going to pursue. I ended up choosing anesthesiology because it still had that aspect of having very diverse days and a really diverse population of patients because every 
type of person, every age, every disease state needs surgery. And so I liked that variety aspect of it. But then also the fact that you don't have a clinic with patients that are dependent on you to see them on a particular regular interval. I liked the idea that my interactions with patients would be much more kind of like in a particular day, as opposed to over a long term so that I could get away and do the travels that I wanted to do. So the anesthesiology is a um, relatively competitive specialty, I would say, during these days. It is a tough specialty, but not as many hours and as many years as some, especially in surgery. But I found it to be fairly challenging. And that was compounded by the fact that I was getting sick and I didn't even really know it. I realized about a year to two years in that I was having a lot of trouble just being able to get motivated for work, get up for my days. I had a lot of fatigue. I had some issues that were related to tiredness and procedures and not being able to really do procedures um, on the fly that I needed to do in the operating room. I struggled a little bit. I struggled with focus. And I chalked all of this up to the stress of the medical specialty and the culture and the atmosphere that you're in, which is go, go, go and stay up all night and that kind of thing. And it seemed natural. And this was my second career. I was getting a little bit older. We were deciding if we wanted to have a family and we were wanting to look into that, but I was having reproductive issues and all of that stuff compounded in me finding out that I had a brain tumor and it was causing me to go blind and I wasn't even self-aware enough to realize it. Wow. What a scary moment, I'm sure. So we work through that and... I think I've been really intrigued with some of the work you've done since then around self-awareness and self-knowledge, just to become aware of your own body and what it's telling you. You obviously are an anesthesiologist today, so the story kind of comes out good on the back end. How did you come back from that? Because that seems like it's a pretty traumatic, life-altering experience that could change your trajectory as well. So I'm curious how you, you don't really bounce back from a brain tumor very easily. To be honest... When the diagnosis actually came, because I had been suffering with these kind of nonspecific symptoms for some time, I was a little bit more relieved than upset or worried. I definitely had just all sorts of emotions swirling through me, but I was relieved to have a diagnosis of something that was, quote, fixable. I knew that I could take medication or have surgery for that kind of tumor, as opposed to certain types of tumors in the brain that are very, very invasive and have really bad long-term mortality and long-term prognosis. I knew that this was a benign tumor. It was just taking up space and causing all sorts of problems that were manifesting in my symptoms. But it was definitely scary. I mean, I had never had anything like that happen to me. I never had any kind of big health issues before. And I was also mad at myself, like, man, why did you not, you should know better, you know, kind Mm. of thing. Like, why did you not recognize this sooner? And how could you have been so blind? And I say that literally and figuratively to not know that this was going on. I mean, I kind of knew something was going on, but I 
didn't put it all together in the big picture. Yeah. I mean, how often are we just living our lives, right? And you said you thought this was just kind of a part of it. I'm assuming it's common with high achievers to write off these symptoms and go, well, this is just part of life. Is that kind of your experience too in doing some of this work? Yes, definitely. Yeah. You don't have to get to a full-blown health crisis like I do to lose yourself, I mean, and, and then find yourself. Definitely, people are in a better place than, than I was. And I'm trying to help people now with that. And that's why I started kind of right after I recovered from that whole situation, I started writing a blog at the time, really appealing to me because I love to write. And so I wrote my whole story down. And that was the origin posts of my blog. And from there, it's blossomed into doing coaching for other physicians and then also doing and public speaking engagements at conferences and things like that. Definitely, it's really common and people resonate with the story who are hard driving professionals because they know what it's like to, especially doctors who should know better, to ignore symptoms and then realize that they're sick or just kind of they're self-medicating and they're ignoring things. And the other aspect of it was that when this happened to me, it became clear that I had been going down a trajectory in my career that was veering off of the adventure path, which was the reason that I had chosen the career to have that ability to do the adventures, to do the rock climbing and the traveling. Right before all this happened, I had lost sight of that and I was headed to a competitive fellowship. I really wanted to get into this area of medicine that would have pigeonholed me into a certain type of hospital work environment. And that was exactly what I was trying to get away from in engineering, where I wanted to not be bound to a certain geographical location or kind of work environment. And so that really made me to stop and realize and step back that I needed to learn more about myself. I needed to remember who I really was and the kind of principles that had led me to that place and then get back on the path that that I was meant to be on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think it's so easy, right? You get on this path and you kind of forget, <laughs> where am I going and what am I doing? I hear so often from people in really a lot of different fields. And it's part of the reason why I started this podcast, right? I wanted people to realize you can have it all, not that you have to, but if you want a life of adventure, you can still make that work. It's just, it might look a little different. And how do you keep that centered on your why or on your purpose? Because that's, it's easy to lose it or it's easy to get distracted, I would say, and drift. And all of a sudden, 10 years have gone by and you're like, wait, wait, wait this wasn't the plan. <laughs> yes, definitely. Let's talk about getting back to this adventurous lifestyle and kind of the simplicity of life again. You're now a mom, obviously, and you have been embarking on some really interesting things. I know when you and I first were introduced, you were exploring either sailing or homesteading. So I want to start with just learning some more about these other lifestyles now that you're interested in. Let's talk about full-time sailing. What was it that drew you to that type of opportunity? Yeah, I think that we finally did start a family and have a child. And that was a big undertaking after having had the kind of tumor I had because it left me infertile. So I had to do in vitro. And we did continue climbing. But once we had her, it changed the types of adventures that we really wanted to do. And it wasn't because 
we decided that rock climbing was not safe or was something that we all of a sudden didn't like to do. It just kind of naturally happened that we got interested in some other things. And one of them is because we had already traveled a lot in RVs for rock climbing, it was living in an RV that happens to be floating on water. (laughs) And we did a charter catamaran in Panama with a sailing family that has also a child who's a little older. He's a preteen at the time. And we absolutely fell in love with it. It was just seemed like a great lifestyle to expose our child to. And so we were headed in that direction before, really before COVID happened and closed everything down. Yeah. And then from there, we shifted to thinking about doing homesteading. And so that's kind of our trajectory right now. So I'm exploring, you know, we're not full-time RVers, but I think the idea of full-time sailing, I love the idea of being out on the water, but it seems much more complicated. So I'm also curious, what were some of the challenges with even, obviously COVID is challenging, but what ultimately, I guess COVID probably deterred you from going that route, huh? Yeah, that's the main thing right now. And we're not we're not going um, completely away from it. We may do it in the future. And in a way, maybe it's a blessing because our daughter is only five years old. She knows how to swim. She's a pretty strong swimmer. But if we wait a little while as the COVID restrictions ease and maybe, maybe hopefully things kind of go back to a normal or at least a normal that that seems like there's somewhat of an ease to travel and move from country to country, then she'll be a little older and maybe she'll be a little more able to, to help us with the rigors of sailing because it's, it's pretty physical. There are ropes just like in climbing, but it's just a completely different animal. And it's something that we were really excited about because we would just have to learn a completely new skill. And I think that that's one thing with adventure that you have to remember is that at the heart of adventure is doing something new, something that you're not sure you can do, something that's different and that just requires your brain to to just completely reset and, and focus on something different. Yes. I always love when, like, if you're too comfortable, then it's time for something new. <laughs> we kind of joke about that too. That seems scary to some people. Were you at all scared about the lifestyle of living on a sailboat? You know, I just think about I could think of a million excuses, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I was and I still am if we end up doing it. I mean, I, I definitely was really worried about it in the beginning before we even went. The idea, in fact, I, I pushed back on it for a little while. Um, my husband had been talking about it for a while before I agreed to even do the charter because I I actually have a history of getting quite seasick and motion sick. And so I was really worried that that was going to put a major damper on the whole thing and I would be miserable the whole time. But I found, and this was a really good lesson, that this fear that I had actually was unfounded because it wasn't that bad. I got I got used to it pretty fast. I mean, there are days when on the ocean, it's really rolly and it's really wavy. And no matter who you are, you're, you could get sick. And even experienced sailors, and we have talked to families, and we have watched lots of YouTube families now and heard podcasts from families where 
they, they're real experienced and they still sometimes get sick. That was my one major fear, but it was laid when I went and, and did this experience. And I realized that it wasn't as bad as I expected. Just on average. Now I'm curious, how long are you typically on the water? Like, do you go days at a time without a stop or is it more or less than that? So it really depends on where you are. What our plan to do and would still be in the future when and if we do do this would be to start in the Caribbean, which is where there are islands very close to each other. And so if you go on a passage between an island, it could be only like a half of a day or something like Mm. that. You To go from Florida down to one of the first islands in that area would maybe take more than a day. I can't remember um, exactly. And there may be listeners who know the answer to that question. But so in that circumstance, you would be doing overnights. Now, if you decided that you were going to go from California to Tonga or something like that, that's like 21 days at sea or more. So it depends on the speed of your boat. It depends on lots of factors. It depends on wind and weather and where where you're going, yeah. basically. Yeah, I would think. But actually, what people say that live aboard cruise is that most of the time you're at anchor. I mean, you're not moving around all the time. And it depends on the lifestyle you want. But people with young, a lot of times they try to go places where they don't have to do big passages because it's hard on kids and people and, you know, sleep schedules and things like that. Yeah, I would imagine. And not having control over the weather, obviously, or to like, let's just hang out inside today. (laughs) That gets really hard when that's all you're on for a long period of time. Yeah. Yeah. That's fascinating. I'm so intrigued, but I don't think that's going to make my list. (laughs) (laughs) We joke even with... RV life. You know, I talk to a lot of people and they're like, you're going to like live on the road. I hated road trips. I was like, well, our road trips are only like three to four hours a day. It's not like, you know, I think a lot of us have the vision of what your lifestyle may have been as a child, that if you had a parent who was like, we're going to get there and we go 12 hours and we don't stop and then we eat and we sleep and we go another 12 hours. That's not enjoyable for anybody. So I think a lot of it has to do with your mindset. It does. And here's the difference between that and the reality of RV life and slow travel, because we've done a lot of slow travel, either in RVs with and without kids or Airbnb type situations. Your timeline is just different. You're not in a hurry. And your life, it's like your whole life is like a vacation. So you're not go, 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 push, push, push to get to where you want to go. It's It sounds cliche, but you're a lot more about the journey than the destination because you don't have this finite amount of time to spend there. Right. So that's what makes it more enjoyable is you can design your days however you want. It doesn't matter if it's Saturday or Tuesday. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. All right. I want to talk a little bit about homesteading because now this is intriguing too. I'm curious when you say homesteading, what are you envisioning homesteading to be like or how would you define homesteading? Yeah, and I think that this is different for everyone because there are some people out there where for them, the homestead is a farm that's completely self-sufficient and they are producing all of their food and living completely Mm off-grid. I don't think that that's exactly what we're going to be doing. We are actually just this month embarking on a trip in our RV to go look for the right piece of land 
that we can purchase and then build something on. And we'll probably end up camping on it at first, Mm -hmm. unless there's already a structure. And then slowly add things. Maybe we'll add a guest house. Maybe we'll add something that, that you can rent out that could be a source of income. Maybe then we'll add some chickens. Yeah, I think we'll be doing something kind of small, a small garden, a small group of animals, something that can be closed down for the season and, you know, not have to worry about a huge stable of, you know, cattle, for example, or something like that. Uh, We're going to start small and we'll see how it goes. I mean, we both still have our our day jobs. My husband is an attorney and does intellectual property law and I am still doing anesthesiology just on a limited basis and only for travel assignments right now. And then just my non-clinical stuff that I do. And we both still really enjoy doing those things. So we want to keep that in the mix and also keep city living or traveling and being able to go to to ocean places in the mix right now as travel restrictions allow. I think there's something fun about just enjoying the space of homesteading, that concept of living off the land and really appreciating the land for what it could offer you. I always joke, though, if I have to live off the land, I'm going to need some help because I cannot keep a garden alive to save my life. You realize how much the animals love the garden, too. Yes, I have issues keeping gardening alive, too, in the houses that we've had in the past. But I think the real draw for us is to experience a lifestyle that is mostly out in nature. We don't want to build a big house because we want to be able to be outside as much as possible and have our daughter experience that and also be able to play in a place where you're not worried about cars driving by and noise pollution and things of that nature. And we really want to give her that experience. That's awesome. I've had it most of my life and it's really awkward when you go to a city and you realize how loud things are. I remember someone coming to my house as a child and looking up and seeing the stars and going, oh my gosh, you have stars here. And I was like, well, what do you have? I thought we all had stars. I had no idea how different life can be. And it is a very nourishing place to be. We talk about that a little bit with RVing. The concept behind tiny houses or tiny living is you don't need all the stuff to entertain you, that you have everything you need outside your door. So if you force yourself to get outside the door and really be out in nature, that it's a really enriching experience. Yeah, we've always really loved adventure, challenge, and learning new things. Those are core values for me and for my husband. And they're just continuing on. And it's something that doing a lot of work on myself, doing a lot of journaling, learning more about myself by just having downtime, having time while even just camping in an RV where you're doing simple things. It's what you remember. You start to reinforce those values. And then you go back to, maybe you go back to city life and at first it feels weird and then you get used to it again. And then that's when you realize, just like you said, that you need to go mix it up a little bit again and, and have a, an experience that's different. Yeah, you alluded to this. I think so many people are so unaware of what can happen when you slow down. I, I think I was always afraid of slowing down. And once you do it, it's pretty eye opening what is in front of you. Yeah, I'll tell you when I was in residency 
just on that go, 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 check the boxes every day. What am I supposed to be doing? Where am I supposed to be? I know I'm missing something. I went on a trip when I was convalescing from this whole tumor experience. It's kind of a long story, but I, you know, I physically was, was better, but not great, but we went on a camping trip and it was so hard to just unplug that part of you that is like the part that says, where am I supposed to be? And what am I supposed to be doing? I know that there's something I need to be doing and then realize that no, there's not. Yeah, You can do whatever you want to do today. And it's really refreshing. And in those moments of nothingness is where later on you look back and you realize that that's where you had a a revelation about yourself, something about yourself that you now know to be true that you need to to make sure is part of your life all the time. I think about that with people who haven't had a slow travel like experience. They spend so much time escaping. Their first couple of days of vacation are really just unwinding from all that life was that they don't even really enjoy what vacation could be because they're spending so much time just trying to come down from it. I also think there's so many people that haven't experienced this. And I hope, if anything, this episode brings them really the motivation to try it, just to slow down and really appreciate. And I know you might be able to help with that. Tell me more about practice balance and just this concept, because so much of what you have learned and have craved from adventure is this self-knowledge and self-awareness. So talk about self-knowledge and practice balance. And how is that really the theme that ties all of your adventures together? Yeah, I thought long and hard about a name for my blog. It's now my overarching business name, but it came to me during that time when I was sick and was recovering. And I just loved the idea that practice balance, it's both a noun and a verb, like it's a command, but it's also a thing. So if you have a medical practice, it's a balanced practice is what you want or what a lot of people are striving for. And then it's also a thing to tell people to try to do is practice balance, try to get balance in your life. The other part about it is that it's a constant process. And just today, I published an article on the blog that was called There Are No Shortcuts to Self-Awareness. I have been dealing with the same issues or doubt, self-doubt, self-confidence issues for years. I mean, they come and go. We all have this path that we think should be linear to progress in our lives in whatever area. Like maybe you're progressing in your career or you're progressing in a sport or you're, you're trying to become a better parent or a better spouse or something like that. And things don't work in a linear way. It's always this up and down or just a crazy squiggly line because things happen and we regress and then something really awesome happens and you jump forward and, and uh, really high. And so it's just a constant practice, basically. And the other analogy is yoga. Like, who is perfect at yoga? No <laughs> one is perfect at yoga. I mean, I have my limitations and my flexibility, but I still try to do yoga. I'm nowhere near perfect. And I don't even think that the person that does yoga every single day is perfect or that they would think that they're perfect. So we're always practicing something. And self-knowledge and self-awareness is like that too. So I write articles and give talks about self-knowledge and about how to start your own journey. 
I've recently just starting with the one-on-one coaching for physicians and professionals. And so far, it's a small practice. And so I've only had physicians, but I'm open to any other professionals, helping them to go on a self-knowledge journey if they feel like they've lost their true values and don't really feel like they are who they think that they're supposed to be. And they're on that treadmill of, of achievement and they haven't really stepped off and assessed what they've been doing recently. And they want to maybe unplug a little bit. Maybe they want to be doing less, but they don't really know where to cut in their lives. Yeah. Do you have anything if someone is interested in just like where to start? Well, I do. I think the best thing is to go to my blog and type in different keywords, self-knowledge, self-care. The other thing is if you subscribe to the newsletter at the top of my blog, you can get a small download from me that is a PDF that's a guided journal entry. And it is a Kickstarter for self-knowledge. So it asks a lot of different questions that would point you in the direction of where to go next. And there are a lot of self-knowledge assessments that I also recommend to people. Those are listed on my blog. I need to get a resources page up, but they're in a lot of my different articles that people can look at. They're my favorite places to go that are free. They take about 10 or 15 minutes and you usually learn something about yourself. I really appreciate you sharing those resources. If someone wants to follow, you already mentioned Practice Balance, but I also know you have your other following on Stealth Wealth Family. Do you just want to talk briefly about Stealth Wealth Family? Oh, yeah, sure. That blog is something that we started with the idea that we're going to share adventures and with family, with parenting, also unschooling and homeschooling our daughter. And it is called Stealth Wealth Family, hoping that as she gets a little older, she'll be contributing to the site as part of her, her, quote, homework assignments. We do do a lot of travel chronicles, mainly the slow travel trips that we've taken in the last few years and kind of the benefits and things that we learned in the process of going to certain places. We have an article all about the sailing adventure and also a land tour in Panama that we did. We also have articles about what it's like to go cruising when you're used to doing doing slow travel like we do Airbnbs and cook for ourselves. And so that's called StealthWealthFamily.com. And we have an Instagram handle that's StealthWealthFamily. And then my personal blog is PracticeBalance.com. And then my personal Instagram handle is PracticeBalance. And that is where I'm most active on social media. Perfect. I will put all of those in the show notes. I really appreciate you sharing all of that with us today. Is there anything else that you expected me to ask that I didn't? No, no, not at all. I, <laughs> I love getting the questions. I love having these conversations. I think the one thing that I will just tell listeners is in some way, shape or form today, maybe you could go and learn something about yourself, either by completing my download that's on my website that I mentioned, or just taking a pen to paper and writing down what you feel like your core values are that you are really wanting to live by right now. Yes, that is such great advice. Thank you so much, Don. It has been such an honor and a pleasure. I can't wait to someday meet you because all of our interactions have been online and I have listened to your some of your episodes that you've uh, 
been on. And I just really look forward to connecting with you sometime in the human sense at some point in our lives. It'll be great. Me too, Heidi. That would be awesome. Thank you so much. Awesome. I hope you found as much value from this content as I did as we were recording. It had a lot of key takeaways. So I will be sharing with you 12 key takeaways from today. Number one, rock climbing and trekking around the world changed Dawn's whole direction in life. The experiences meeting all sorts of people through rock climbing led to a career pivot. She realized she didn't want to do a job where she was serving the same kind of person or making something better or faster. She wanted to marry science with service, which led to a career in medicine. Number two, rock climbing introduced her to all sorts of people who were very different, but united and a tight-knit community that shared a common love for the outdoors and exerting themselves. Number three, Dawn struggled with focus and various other symptoms, which she chalked up to the stress, culture, and atmosphere that she was working in. All of that stuff compounded in her finding out she had a brain tumor that was causing her to go blind. As Dawn stated, I wasn't even self-aware enough to realize it. Number four, what are you currently blind to? As Dawn stated, she was mad at herself. You should know better. Why didn't you recognize this sooner? When this happened, it also became clear that she was veering off of the adventure path, which was the reason she switched careers in the first place. She had lost sight of that due to the competitive culture of her field. Have you lost sight of where you thought you were going? Number five, you don't have to have a full-blown health crisis to find yourself. Are you ignoring the signs and symptoms that something might be wrong or off in your life? The signs and symptoms for this might be feelings of guilt, frustration, blah, shame, or overwhelm. Number six, recognizing she lost her path made her stop and realize she needed to learn more about herself. She needed to remember who she was and the kind of principles that led her to this place and get back on the path that she was meant to be on. Number seven, at the heart of adventure is doing something new, something that you're not sure you can do, something that's different. Recognizing you want something different than what life is prescribing can also be an adventure in fulfillment, contentment, and joy. Number eight, if you notice, many of Dawn's adventures come with a testing period, as she stated, to start small and see how this goes. In that process, she has often found that her fears or worst case scenarios are unfounded. Number nine, slow travel, regardless of the way or means, allows you to experience things differently. You're not in a hurry. Like your whole life almost feels like a vacation because you don't have to go, go, go to get where you want to be. Not to be cliche, but it's almost like it's more about the journey than the destination because you don't have a finite amount of time to spend at each location. Number 10. Many people are unaware of what can happen when you slow down or might even be afraid of slowing down. Yet in those moments of nothingness is where you later can look back and realize that you had a revelation about yourself or confirm something about yourself that you know to be true. Slowing down can confirm or offer clarity for what you actually need in life. Number 11, there are no shortcuts to self-awareness. It is a constant process. We all have this path that we think should be linear to progress, but life isn't linear. It's a series of setbacks, a series of peaks and valleys, or maybe even squiggly lines. Being self-aware is critical to making adjustments when you see things are headed in the direction that aren't in alignment with who you really want to be. But it is an ongoing practice. And number 12, and most importantly, if you would like additional resources, Dawn listed a couple of them in the show notes. So I'm linking them here. 
And I also wanted to offer a framework. If you don't even know what your path is, a resource that's been extremely helpful to me is called the Best Year Yet Framework. And I am going to link to it in the show notes and I can connect you with the individuals and the partners that I have in that space that have actually given me the boundaries, right? What is included in my box and what is outside my box. So if I mentioned in the beginning of this episode, if you're not even sure what your rails are to know if you've fallen off of them or you just don't know where you're going, you know you're in a state of drift, but you don't know where you're supposed to be going. The Best Year Yet framework didn't only just offer me the insights of my future focus, but it gave me the system to check in with myself, to know where I was headed and adapt and adjust along the way. I hope you found value from this episode and can recognize just a little bit if you slow down what the power of that opportunity and just noticing. And with that, thank you so much for joining me. I hope you enjoy this journey and keep on adventuring. If you found value from today's show, here are three easy ways you can support us. Subscribe to Ordinary Sherpa Podcast on the platform you're listening to. It lets the providers know that you're getting value from the show and want to be around when we release additional content. If you feel compelled, leave us a review. Two, find your friends, family, and others you think would enjoy this show and share this episode. Three, and most importantly, join the community of families interested in creating authentic experiences through simple adventures by going to OrdinarySherpa.com backslash community. We want to hear from you and create content that would benefit your family. Thanks for joining us on this journey as we help families connect through adventure.